Welcome to the Three Down Nation podcast. This is John Hodge. We thank you as always for joining us. This week we are foregoing our regularly scheduled programming to bring you some very exciting interviews from the CFL's off-season winter meetings up in the mountains of Alberta. Justin Dunk, our very own reporter, is on site conducting interviews with members of all nine CFL teams as well as, of course, CFL Commissioner Randy Ambrosi. We will be posting a select number of these interviews to our podcast feed, but don't fret if you miss the regular show. We'll be back for our regular programming with myself, Justin, and J.C. Abbott on Wednesday, January 18th. In the meantime, enjoy the select interviews we post, and we'll talk to you again soon. Twenty twenty three CFL winter meetings one on one with Montreal Alouettes general manager Danny Pachocha, no longer the head coach or at least interim head coach. What was that process like for you to go from GM to head coach and come very close to getting the Owls to the Great Cup? Well, I mean, it, it happened after um, after week four. So basically, um, I don't think it was ever planned that it was it would work out after week four. But when I did take the sidelines. Obviously, I felt like we had a strong enough coaching staff. Uh, bringing Coach Thorpe on board uh, clearly helped us on the defensive side of the ball. So I just wanted to make sure that I didn't, you know, stand in anybody's way. So basically, just took what we were we were already uh, uh, trying to execute on, on offense, on defense, and special teams, and just trying to bring a little bit more structure. Uh, what wasn't critical for me was to have a rapport with the players. We had put in place uh, a players uh, committee that I uh, that I met with them on a weekly basis. So we were trying to project what lays ahead, you know, uh, the, uh, with the upcoming week. And then at the end of the week, we would obviously take a look at the week that we had and uh, and try to try to evaluate moving forward if we needed to make any modifications or not. So I was more like a traffic controller kind of guy with the staff and the players. Uh, but a lot of the credit goes to the players, and a lot of the credit goes to the assistant coaches, because there was buy-in, there was there was there was a there was communication, um, there was a lot of exchanges, and I think uh, that that early process, which obviously wasn't easy, uh, we were able to turn it around after I think it was after weeks after week eight when we were sitting at two and six and we had our game in Winnipeg. That's when you started to see things slowly turn around. Yeah, and how critical was that win? against the Blue Bombers in their home stadium when everybody was talking about them potentially having a perfect season? Oh, it was critical. I mean, we I mean, we played really, really well. Um, we were able to, to make the plays that we needed to make, especially in the second half uh, defensively. You know, we were we were able to create some turnovers. We were able to get to Calaros and 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 put him in situations a second and long, and um, and then the kicking game obviously made the, made a difference late in the game and into uh, into the overtime period. So uh, in a fairly hostile environment, so we were able to deal with the with the elements that came with uh, the fact that you're playing probably one of the premier teams in the CFL. And you came really close to getting to the Great Cup. The offseason comes. Did you have any thoughts about staying in that dual role capacity, GM and head coach? No, no. Uh, just because it's, uh, I just think it's, it's, that's a lot of work. I just think it's two different jobs for two different people, um, and that's and that's the way we, we, we've always 
thought about being structured here in the last few years in Montreal, making sure that those two jobs were occupied by two different people. And uh, the plan was just for me to go downstairs, get a feel for the players, get a feel for the coaches, um, try to right the ship a, a little bit. And I think for the most part, we uh, collectively were able to do that. But uh, you know, the head coaching search started probably a month before the conclusion of the regular season. So, you know, we had four candidates internally that, you know, we were evaluating, I was evaluating them on a daily basis. And then at the conclusion of the uh, the season, I wanted to go out and talk to a few others. And, and here we are today. And how did you come to that decision to hire Jason Moss after he was let go from the Saskatchewan Rough Riders? Because some people were surprised that he was there, he was running that offense, they didn't want to bring him back, and then you wanted to bring him in as head coach. Well, that's one of the reasons why I hired him, because he went through a fairly difficult year, and I watched the way he handled himself on the sideline, and I thought he was outstanding with the players. I thought he was outstanding with the media. And uh, it's no different than what I experienced in Edmonton. Uh, I learned more about some of the failures. Uh, you learn a lot about yourself on a personal note. You learn a lot about yourself on a professional no note, and that helped me build what we built at the University of Montreal while I was there for nine years and going to three Vanier Cups. So um, that was extremely intriguing to me. And then speaking to players like Ricky Ray and, and Mike Riley and, uh, and, and Trevor Harris, and I know that he's had a rapport with Henry Burris too. Um, he's a leader of men. Um, he's a great communi communicator. He's passionate and, and players play hard for him. And, um, and that's what we were looking for. So um, as we got a little bit deeper into the uh, interview process and we got to the, uh, the final two, um, after bringing him in for a second interview, uh, he just confirmed what, you know, what we uh, internally already knew about him and we were comfortable with the hire. A lot of people focused on his time in Edmonton in terms of maybe some of the antics, right? Him being very emotional, wearing those emotions on his sleeve, breaking headsets or you know, punching Gatorade bottles or whatever it may be. But he actually had a winning record there. He took yeah. that team to the playoffs multiple times and in the difficult West Division. Now, before we get to sort of him as a coach, you joked about it at the press conference, but does he actually have a clause in his contract that anything he breaks, he's paying for? Well, he doesn't have a clause, but he understands <laughs> that anything he breaks, he'll pay for. But, you know, it was just a little bit of a crack that I made just to, 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 to you know, just bring some humor to that, to that question that was asked. But, you know, you, you live and learn. Those are great, great learning experiences. Now, I don't want that passion to ever disappear. You know, I mean, that's one of the attractions to having him on board. That's one of the attractions that players um, uh, appreciate about him is that he's genuine. What you see is what you're going to get. There's not too much gray in, the, in his life. And, and, and people appreciate that. Uh, but, you know, there's certain things that you can possibly control you know, a little bit better, uh, whether it's with the headsets, whether it's, uh, you know, the way you handle an interview, the way you handle... You know, maybe a fan that's in your, you know, in your ear as you're walking into the locker room, you know, at, at halftime or at the conclusion of a football game. But um, you know, he, he's, uh, you know, he's still going to wear his emotions on his sleeve. Uh, I think those experiences are only going to make him better. Uh, but we love the passion, we love the fire, and uh, and that's what we were looking for. And to your point about watching him in Saskatchewan, nothing was broken all year. Nothing, nothing, and uh, and, and and that should speak volumes as far as you know as far as what he experienced in Edmonton and everything that he went through in in Saskatchewan which was so much more difficult and yet he kept his cool and his composure but he still coached with passion 
and that emotion, uh, the, the players felt it on a daily basis. Uh, and that's based on some of the players that I spoke to throughout the last few years that have had some sort of affiliation with Jason Moss. So um, no, this was, uh, I was quite comfortable with the hire and, um, and he surrounded himself with a pretty good staff. So uh, we're looking forward to 2023 here. Did his relationship with Trevor Harris tilt that decision one way or another, like in terms of trying to help get Harris re-signed? No, we want Trevor and we would have made a run for Trevor regardless of whether we would have gone with Jason or not. Does it help? Clearly it helps. Is it a foregone conclusion? No, it's not. Um, so we're still negotiating. Uh, there's still a lot of back and forth. Uh, I think it's it's a good marriage, the two being together. They've had a ton of success together. Um, you know, Trevor wants to win a, a great cup as a starting quarterback. Jason wants to win a great cup as a head coach. And I'd like to win a great cup as a general manager. Neither one of us has have been has been able to do so in those respective roles. So um, there's mutual respect there. Um, there's already a template in place that we can build off of. There's a foundation that's been laid and um, that's just a question of getting all parties together and trying to take it to the next step. In terms of negotiations with Harris, are you guys close? Are you far apart? Do you see a deal getting done before free agency comes? Well, I, I'm, I'm, I'm confident that we're gonna get something done before free agency. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm extremely hopeful. I'm not saying we're far, I'm not saying we're close. There's, there's dialogue, there's communication. Um, uh, there's, uh, it's genuine the way how we feel about one another. He wants to be in Montreal, we want him in Montreal. You know, we're gonna put our best foot forward to make it happen and we hope it will happen. If it doesn't, then we're gonna have to go to a, a plan B. Um, but right now we're not even contemplating plan B. We're hopeful that this, uh, will come to fruition here in the next little while. There's been a lot going on with the franchise since you've come over there in terms of the ownership and even the president, Mario Cicchini, coming in and now leaving. How have you been able to put a team on the field that came very close to getting to a great cup while dealing with some of those potential distractions? Well, I mean, it's far from being ideal. So obviously those are distractions that you know we knew were there. Um, but uh, I will say this about ownership. Uh, uh, especially as far as uh, just a, uh, just as far as the estate, as far as Gary Stern is concerned, they've been extremely supportive. It hasn't affected us uh, on the on the field. Uh, clearly, these are situations that we experienced in 22. We don't want to experience them moving forward. Uh, we don't need that type of distraction. We want the focus to be on the players and on the on the product on the field, and and hopefully that'll be the case here and uh, with the upcoming season. Um, but it shouldn't, you know, it shouldn't prevent us or prohibit us from putting a competitive team on the field. Are you aware of any potential sale or change in ownership? Locally, it seems like that's where the majority owners really focus is getting someone local. No, I'm not aware. Um, and I just don't want to relive what I relived in 2019. I just want to be focused with the job at hand. And, and God knows we got so much work that I can't, you know, uh, really spend too much time as far as the ownership picture is concerned. I'm going to leave that in. In, in the capable hands of, uh, of the people that are running the club right now at that level. And uh, and I'm sure they're gonna do what's best for the organization. And Gary Stern's a minority owner. He's been very outspoken on Twitter. He's guaranteed wins. He's very passionate about his team. Are you all right with that? Or do you prefer the sort of quieter version of stuff? Well, it's not my style, right? But that doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, just because I don't necessarily, um, you know, subscribe 
to that type of activity on, on social media that, you know, everybody's got to feel the same way. He's got his particular style. He feels like, you know, he wants to connect with people, which there's nothing wrong with it. Um, my focus is clearly on the coaches, the players, and trying to put the best product on the on the football field. So um, everybody's got their way of doing business. Um, and maybe, you know, you, you need several different people that have their you know their ways of operating to come together and to push forward but I don't you know whatever is said on Twitter those are his words they belong to him does that is it a is it a distraction is it a problem within the organization um, it, it didn't affect us winning or losing any games last year put it this way can that create bulletin board material for your opponent if you need that kind of material uh, then um, you know I think uh, I think you've got other issues personally speaking I don't I don't think it adds and you know he said it every single week so we were still <laughs> able to win half of our games so uh, you know I mean we control what uh, you know um, I'd like to think that we're the ones that control the outcome on the football field by the way we prepare and by the way we play you step back from the head coach's role and you're a bit of a visionary. That's the way that I saw you at the University of Montreal. You're in the GM role now. Can you ever envision yourself being the president of this team? Uh, not right now. Not at 55. Uh, maybe down the road, possibly. Um, I'm just a guy that wants to be closer to the players and to the coaches. I want to be on, the, you know, uh, you know, I want to be on the football side of it and spend as much time trying to build um, a football team. Uh, and hopefully, part of my legacy is that. You know, I'm going to be able to leave behind uh, an organization that was that's going to be much better than what I originally found when I left University of Montreal and I, you know, I signed on with the Montreal Alouettes. There's so much good that's happening in the province of Quebec right now with football. It's alive and kicking at at, at, at so many different levels, and um, you know, we, we just want to provide as many opportunities as possible to those players, to those coaches, moving forward, and that hopefully will be my legacy moving forward. And Andre Bolduc was involved in that head coaching process. He's now gone to the Saskatchewan Roughriders, and he made some public comments feeling that the head coaching position was sort of predetermined. I'm kind of paraphrasing here. Have you spoken to him since, or why yeah, do you feel absolutely. like he feels that? I've, I've spoken to him several times. Uh, Andre had a great, uh, had, a, had a great interview, uh, but so did AC, and so did uh, Byron Archambault, and so did uh, Noel Thorpe. Um, nothing was predetermined. Actually, it took us a little bit longer than we first anticipated, just because there was a lot of back and forth. And you know, uh, Mario Cecchini was in the process of uh, the uh, the uh, the interview process because we had we had the community piece and we had the football piece. So Mario obviously led in the community piece. So uh, there was a lot of back and forth. There was a lot of exchanges, and um, and that's why it took the uh, the time that it took. In order for us to come to the conclusion that you know that that we came to, uh, but Andre, I mean, I coached Andre in, in Montreal. I mean, he was a he was a receiver slash fullback, and when I coached him there, and he went on to have a pretty good career at, as a head coach at the University of uh, Sherbrooke. He was also at the University of Montreal as an assistant coach. He's been there for eight nine years. He's gone through so many offensive coordinators and head coaches there the last eight nine years, and he felt that at this stage in his career. Um, with uh, with kids that are a little bit older, uh, that this would have been the great opportunity for him to live something a little bit different. It's not to say that he can't ever come back or be a head coach somewhere else, but at this stage uh, of where we're at as an organization, the best fit was Jason Moss. 
Arguably the other big free agent that you have is Eugene Lewis. He's proved himself to be one of the top receivers in the league, has a great rapport with Trevor Harris, who you talked about and you're hoping to resign before free agency. Where are things at in terms of negotiations with him? Um, I just met Gino on Sunday. Uh, we spent two hours in my office. Um, we exchanged on how we view things moving forward. Uh, I think Gino wants to be in Montreal. I can tell you that we want him in Montreal. That's just trying to find that happy medium. How do we, how do we get him? Um, you know, how do we get a contract signed where he's happy with it and we're happy with it? But uh, the if you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Communication is there. We, we, uh, we speak on a regular basis. We exchange texts. And, uh, and there, was, there is a willingness for it to work. Um, but there's, there's still some work to be done. Is he living in Montreal? As we speak, yes. He's, uh, I think he's going to be in Montreal for about another month or so. I'm actually probably going to see him on Friday when I get back to Montreal again. Um, you know, he enjoys the, the, the city. I know he does some traveling because he's got a lot of family back home. Um, but I know that he enjoys Montreal. And, um, you know, as, um, my understanding is that that's where he wants to be now. Can we make it happen? Do you want to get Trevor or Eugene signed so they can go and help you recruit the other guy? Yeah, that would be uh, that would be the way to go, I guess. I don't know. It doesn't matter who I get signed first, but if I can get them, what would be ideal is if we can get them both signed at the same time and have an announcement that we're going to have them both back. But um, listen, this is just part of the process. You know, every team goes through it. Every 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 free uh, every couple of years when you know their um, their so-called uh, impact star players, uh, franchise players are are free and are available, um, you know, there's, there's, uh, there's just that, 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 that little bit of that uncertainty that lasts for a, a few weeks, but there's a willingness there to get something done and hopefully that'll be the case here in the next little while. We'll be watching to find out. Thanks for sharing some time with us, Danny. Thank you. Twenty twenty three CFL winter meetings one on one with Montreal Alouettes head coach Jason Moss. How does that sound? Sounds great to me. <laughs> <laughs> Can you believe that's where you are after the season that you had in Saskatchewan? No, and I mean I get it. I, mean, I understand how everybody thinks about that. Um, no, I mean I didn't visualize this happening. I didn't visualize this season the way it went in Saskatchewan either, though. So you know, for it to end the way it did and you know be let go, and then for something like this to transpire and in such a short time. You know, I feel very grateful more than anything. Danny Machocho, your GM, was just sitting in that chair and he talked about how you handled that season with the Rough Riders and it being difficult. And you kept your emotions relatively in check. Now I'm saying this kind of jokingly, but you didn't break anything. Yeah. <laughs> right? And he said that anything in Montreal that you break, 
you ought to pay for it. Are you in uh, agreement with that? Yeah, I'll, I'll agree to that. I don't think <laughs> I don't think too many things are going to come out of my pocket. So I think I've learned my lesson over the years. Is that something that you've worked on and that you focused to change? Um, you know what? I mean, I'm aware more than anything. I mean, that's the thing. I I, I mean, um, that was one of the actually Danny knowing me as well as he does. You know, one of the first things he asked me was that. You know, what have you? What do you think about that? You know, talk to me about some of the, those things. And I explained to him. You know, when those things happen. There's got to be something that really sets me off or something like that to happen. And I'm not, you know, justifying those actions by any means, but um, that's me. That's you see what you get. Um, but I do how, know how it uh, can affect other people. And that's ultimately when you're one of, looked at one of the leaders of the organization or looked at as the leader of the organization and people follow you um, and follow your emotions. You know, I, I, if it doesn't help other players play better, then I probably should check that a little bit. So that's what I, I've looked at it and understood that's something that I need to start um, thinking a little bit more about. But uh, ultimately, I want to be free as a coach too and, and let my emotions, um, because it's something that is a strength for me and mm -hmm. um, define who I am. And But ultimately, yes, I mean, I've thought about it and I think you're going to see some different reactions from me on the sidelines from here going out. The other part of it, though, that you could make an argument for is it's passion. You're yeah. passionate about football. Well, and then that's the thing. And Montreal's a passionate city. So, I mean, maybe it's a perfect fit that way. Um, you know, and there are passionate football players. There's passionate people. So there are people that relate. But ultimately, when you're the leader, you, you've got to relate to everybody. So that's why I say if, if, it, if, it, if everyone's not relatable to that, and I'm not going to probably be able to all the time be the way I am and, and all those things, and certain aspects may come out. But uh, ultimately, I'm aware of it, and that's the, the most important thing, and I'll try to control it for the simple fact that I want to lead everybody and, and, and show that there's other ways of leading and other ways of showing displeasure or disappointment or anger, I should say, um, towards something that you feel uh, wasn't right. And that's ultimately when I think of those things that have gotten me to where I, I, everybody sees or talks about, there's been a lot of buildup to that, and so I've got to do a better job of channeling it. I know you're a film junkie, and I'm guessing you've probably gone back over the Rough Riders season in 2022, the offensive tape. Have you done so, and what do you see that could have been changed, yeah. or were the reasons that maybe well, that offense I will say this. Productive? My computer was taken from me right away. So that's, you know, when you think about a season, and when you're in the season, your whole, your whole job is coming up with plans and putting together game plans and focusing on the film you're watching and all that stuff. November 1st hits and you're not with an organization, there's a six week period where you don't have a computer, you're not doing anything. So for the last, I got a computer for the first time December 23rd, and then I'm off to vacation for a few days with my family over the holidays. So I haven't watched as much as I'd like to have already, but that's the first thing I'm gonna do now is the next two weeks. And that's what ultimately when I've talked to our staff uh, on the offensive side and defensive side special teams, this is all about self-reflection. It's about how did the Alouettes do in 2020 to to see what we can improve on there and then ultimately yes what went wrong in Saskatchewan what went right what are the things that we can correct how does it relate to the players we have now in Montreal um, what are some things you want to carry over and you've you've got to look at it and I think that's a natural thing that all coaches do in the offseason is the first thing you do is self-analyze and see what you can improve on what you still like and look at the numbers um, and then you know you look at everybody else too because there's a lot of other good teams in our league too that very bright coaches that do a lot of things that maybe 
maybe you quite didn't notice during the season, but when you get a chance to study it um, without being tired and you can kind of mm -hmm. get a grasp on it, you know, that's where you change your offense a little bit in the offseason. And there's going to be change. There's going to be changes to what we do. And, um, and I think you need to grow each year. So there'll be something that's new every year. It seemed like you and Cody, at least relationship-wise, were really tight. And did you feel like when he had hurt his knee that maybe he should have been sat down and that could have been something that helped you the know, season? I love Cody. I mean, I, I, I think the world of him, I do. Um, I think he's a tough-minded, uh, strong, great leader. I think he, he's passionate about playing. Um, you know, he gives everything he's got on every single play. And though I respect him like crazy, um, he played, uh, he had a tremendous um, injury uh, that he played through. I mean, and when you're a mobile quarterback and you can't move as well as you'd like, when you look at it in, in hindsight, yes, would it have been more beneficial for us uh, probably to rest him? He didn't want to rest, I can assure you that. And he was willing to play through it. Did it hinder some of the things that he could do? Sure. But he was willing to play through it. And we were in a lot of games with him, even though he was injured. We were still right there in the mix, playing those games, winning some of those games, you know, being there right to the end with him playing that way. But I've, I mean, ultimately, when you look back, and you, you f I feel for him because he gave everything he had to that team and to the organization. And it just didn't turn out the way any of us had planned. And so, yeah, I mean, you can always look back and go, gosh, but. I'll tell you what, he became a better quarterback because of that year, because you, when you go through the ups and downs that he did, you know, there's a lot of positives that can be brought out of that too. And toughness is something you need as a quarterback. So when you prove to an organization, you're willing to put your whole body and health on the line for them, everybody sees that. What do you see for his future? Because he was banged up and people are down on him compared to what he did in 2019. I don't know if I can though. speculate too much oh, right, on right, that, right, right yeah. with uh, the free agency stuff, and he's still a member of, of, of Saskatchewan, so I'd probably rather not <laughs> to look at it. But I will say this, I mean, knowing the guy, he's a great individual. He gave everything he had, and I respect him like crazy. Been around, being around him for three years, I mean, you're not going to meet too many better individuals than him, and um, I very much enjoyed working with him. Then let's talk about a quarterback that you can speak on. Yeah. Trevor Harris is currently at least uh, under contract until February 14th when free agency opens. How badly do you want him back and how much have you let him let that be known? Yeah, I mean, I've let him know. I've let everybody know. That's that's first and foremost on our organization's mind is to get Trevor Harris back. I mean, uh, it, we spoke earlier on this. I mean, I can't do any more. Like, there's nothing more he can know of me. I can talk on, um, you know, I, anything he needs to hear, I've already said it. Anything he needs to know about me, he already knows. Um, I know Trevor extremely well, having been around him for the 10 years of his, uh, 10 plus years of him being in the CFL. Um, you know, what you see is what you get with him. He's a tremendous leader. The, I mean, one of the hardest working guys I've ever been around. I don't care the positions. He puts more time in than most. And um, you know what you're getting. You're getting consistent individual every single day. Um, so very excited with the thought of him coming back. But, you know, until that happens, you know, you've got to be prepared in case. But, you know, ultimately right now the focus is blinders and it's like we got to get them. And, you know, but it's there's nothing else to do. It's the negotiating process. And, um, you know, he's got a business decision to make. And, you know, you've got to respect that. Danny Machocha felt optimistic if I'm paraphrasing, that he could be re-signed before free agency. How critical could it be to put 
Harris in place. So then you can start re-signing some other guys or you can make plans for free agency and say, hey, we have our franchise QB. I think it's extremely important. I mean, I think when you're talking about building a winning franchise, you know, the first thing everyone thinks of in football is who's the quarterback of the franchise and the face of it going to be. And you know, Trevor's tremendous in that aspect. So to have him under wraps prior to free agency and being able to put the other pieces in that surround that, um, because you're talking money, you're talking, there's not as, there, there's only a certain amount that can go around. So the sooner you know what price you're, you're dealing with and everyone else around him can see it and be like, okay, that's the guy there. Now I want to come play in Montreal. And for the guys that were in Montreal that know Trevor, it's like, okay, now good. We're set there and, you know, they can make their decisions with a clearer mind. Um, because if I was a number one receiver, I understand it. Who is the quarterback that's going to be throwing the ball to me? And what offense are we going to be run? Because it's going to be tailor-made to the quarterback that's there. And so when you see the guy and you know the system you're going to run and the success he's had in it and all those things, you can start to speculate on what it could be. And I think that's exciting for everybody. So yeah, the sooner that gets done, I think we're all going to sleep better at night in Montreal. Um, not to mention the same thing. You know, It allows us as coaches to start talking to Trevor and talking about the season and what we're going to do and what he did well and what we can improve upon and what did he see and where does he want the offense to go and what kind of things we can do together. Because right now those conversations aren't being made and aren't being had because you simply don't know if he's going to be back or not. That number one receiver you mentioned, I don't know if you're alluding to him or not, but Eugene Lewis is a pending free agent as well. Do you think the quarterback gets signed in these situations before the receiver or can the receiver sign and can they talk to each other and get them both to resign. How could that play out? I would assume it's uh, they're probably talking to each other a bit, um, but uh, we've talked to both. I've talked to both of them. I uh, had a great conversation with Eugene before the holidays after I had gotten signed, uh, set, sitting down with him. He's a tremendous guy, and um, you know you don't get to see that until you do sit down with someone. So um, you know whether it one signs first or the other, I just hope they both sign bottom line and so whatever it takes for either one of them to do that I hope it gets done because they're both going to contribute tremendously to the success of our organization this year and I think they both understand that and know that but until they do sign you don't know but to answer your question one or the other however it happens I just hope they both do. Eugene Luce is an immensely talented receiver. You were around one of those with Saskatchewan with Duke Williams but I don't think people would feel like he lived up to the amount of money he was making or the I guess, production that he had had in the past. You as the offense coordinator for the Riders, how do you view the season that he had in play? Yeah, I mean, I, when I look at the Riders the last two years that I coached there, I will say this, there was a lot of talent on the receiving core. The problem, in my opinion, when you look at it, not, none of those guys played 18 games. And when you talk about production in our league, the guys that produce week in and week out, year in, year out, and get the thousand yards and do all those things, usually those are the healthy guys. Those are the guys that can play for 18. Eugene Lewis played for 18 games. So you get guys, when you can do that, you're going to be productive because each week you learn the system better, you learn the quarterback better, you know, all those things. So when I look at the injury history of what happened over two years, you're looking at Shaq, you're looking at Duke, you're looking at Swerve. Those three guys were, didn't play all the games, and Duke especially this year. His production when he played, yeah, there's can, can we, he make more plays? Sure. Can we throw the ball better? Yes. All those things. But ultimately, if Duke would have just stayed healthy for the entire year, I think everything would have played itself out. He's a great player, and he's, he's tremendous. And I think the injury bug hit, hit that position group pretty hard over the last two years and it affected a lot of things. So I don't look at the individual um, and say, man, they, they didn't play up to their 
capabilities are up to their money value. I think, you know, injury had a lot to do with Duke and, and, and the receiving core there. One of those talented receivers you had in Saskatchewan, Keon Schaefer Baker, has had a bunch of NFL workouts. It mm -hmm. seems like he's going to sign an NFL contract. Do you believe he could be a guy that could make an impact in the NFL? I think uh, Schaefer is just a tremendous athlete, tremendous receiver in person. And I think whatever that kid sets his mind to, he, he can accomplish. So I think if he's given a great opportunity down there, a good opportunity, he'll make the most of it. So yeah, I mean, I, I think he's very talented. And for Montreal, what's his transition like for you? Because I feel like a lot of times I've talked about this with a few other guys already, but fans and media, we view kind of players and even coaches and GMs as chess pieces. But you got to move your entire life now to Montreal. Yeah. What's that like for Jason Moss? Yeah, it's it's different, different on a family. I mean, I've got a wife and two kids and we've established roots in Alberta and, um, you know, we've been living there now since 2016 and, you know, uh, a lot of great friends and, and people we consider family there and school systems and all that that my, my kids have grown up in and their friends. So to uproot a family to move for football is difficult and let alone across the country and Montreal's different. I mean, it's a cool city, and it, but it's different than Alberta. Um, so getting used to the, that kind of thing is going to be something we all we're looking forward to. I mean, change is sometimes a good thing, um, and experience more than anything is good. So for a family, and we've been used to moving, and we've been used to being apart. So we do our best as a family, and I try to do my best to, to concentrate on football during the season and the off season. They know they get to spend more time with me and I get to spend more time with them, but we're a football family. And I think when you say that word, when you say it that way, football families understand what you're talking about. And you you know, you gotta have a strong wife and strong kids to, to get that and make it easier on me to do my job um, to the best that I can. And I have a strong family and that allows me that opportunity. Enjoy Montreal with the family and thanks for catching Thank up you. with us in the yep. mountains. Absolutely, appreciate, appreciate it. it. Yep. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.